Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Bald Guy podcast with your host, Jeff Brown, and our guest, Dave Van Horn. Hi, this is Jeff Brown, and today we're going to be talking on another Bald Guy podcast with David Van Horn, and the topic today is going to be junior liens. Thanks for coming today, Dave. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. My first question is, why do investors buy second position or lower notes secured by real estate when they have less equity behind them often that it doesn't really appear safe? I would think it's price, Jeff, because junior liens cost less. Uh, they have more potential upside. And it's most of the time they're not geographic buyers. They're statistical buyers unless there's a lot of equity in the market. When you said upside, would you expand on that for the listeners? Well, I mean, if you could buy, a, you know, a lot of seconds could trade anywhere from $0.03 cents to $0.40, cents, although some of the reperformers are trading high today if they're backed with equity. But that's a big gap, right? Whereas first liens trade in a more narrow price range. Um, so second liens have more upside, and it's, it's usually based on risk and the statistical probability of collecting. And most junior liens, you're exiting more through the homeowner than through the property. So it's not the same business model as someone that deals in commercial notes or first mortgages. First mortgages, you tend to exit more through the property than you do through the borrower. So it's a different business model. It's a different philosophy. It's a different exit strategy statistically or probability-wise. So that explains the difference. And you know, junior liens are perceived to have more risk because of lien position. And then they're also perceived to have more risk for some of those other reasons that, you know, there were cases where, you know, if it could get stripped or that type of thing. It, the fact that it's a junior lien, it makes it cheaper just by nature. But then, you know, it depends on the marketplace equity wise. If you're in a market where there's not a lot of equity backing the junior lien, obviously they're cheaper, but it doesn't mean you can't collect on it because there's, Things like emotional equity, why people stay in their home. So it's not like people go, my house fell in value, so I'm just going to start packing up and leaving. You know, they still need a place to live, right? That's what we mean by emotional equity. And to a lot of real estate investors, that doesn't make sense at first. But there's a lot of things that don't make sense. Right, right. Now, my experience, uh, and I bought my first discounted note, Dave, uh, when, when Ford was in office in, in 76. And from 76 on to... 2015, every, without exception, every single note I bought was both of two things, second position or lower, and from the San Diego County area, because I that's where I worked, people knew me, I knew the real estate, et cetera, et cetera. So what's your experience uh, with, with the investing in junior liens? Well, I've been doing it for a long time. I mean, it's over 10 years. I started out with junior liens holding a second to sell a property to give terms. So where a buyer could come in with no money down and, you know, little money out of pocket and still cash flow off of rental property that I was selling. So I used to sell property with a junior lien where I would, you know, some type of owner financing like that. And that's how I started. But then I got into junior liens kind of by accident, really, because I used to run an investment group and used to interview the speakers and had a fund manager come down from New York City to speak. He was raising capital for junior liens, and he kind of taught me the business in the beginning. 
And um, it was really not because I preferred it. It was just that's what that guy did, and <laughs> that's what he showed me. And right. um, so became very uh, astute in that area. And then later on, you know, started to do other other types of mortgages. But but you're right. I mean, for me, I it was a space that I was in the whole time, and you know, that's it's just what I knew. But I had a lot of experience initially. We would only buy junior liens with equity. And then the market changed and crashed, and um, and then we and then we learned how to work partial equity and no equity junior liens, and then quickly realized that they were just as lucrative, if not more lucrative, because you could buy them at cheaper prices and still have a statistical outcome that was still favorable and pretty close to uh, junior liens that had full coverage of equity. So when you realize your collectability was close, but yet the product was much cheaper. In fact, it became the opposite. We started to sell our equity junior liens at, you know, they're sold at a premium and that they actually helped to facilitate the cost of a, you know, a pool purchase. So it's kind of the reverse of what people would think, you know, the people that are looking for the safety are going to pay for the safety. And, um, and we like those folks, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Now, a lot of people, when they, when they see the word junior liens or they know that it's a second mortgage or trustee that's securing the note, they they hear all the stories about how junior liens secured by real estate are treated in bankruptcy court. Would you address that for us? Well, you're you're going to, you know, a pretty far extreme, right? Personally, I'm not an asset manager, so I don't deal with a lot of bankruptcy. I mean, we have people at my company that do. In fact, they're pretty much experts in bankruptcy, but a lot of you, you got to look at statistically what happens when you buy, you know, if I buy a hundred junior liens that are current on the first mortgage, well, there's a very large percentage that are going to get worked out. And then there's, and, the, and these are typically occupied, right? So very few are even going to go all the way to the foreclosure process, right? So very few, it's like less than 10%. So of that percentage of 10%, how many on their way to foreclosure, which have multiple steps, and then, okay, there's a possibility that a bankruptcy were to occur. Well, it's a very small statistical number. So it's, you're right, I could worry about that, but statistically, how often does that happen and to what extreme? And even if they, especially like when there were times where a junior lien could be stripped, it's not that simple. They actually have to have an appraisal and they have to prove it and you can contest it. There's a lot of things going on there. And think about the typical homeowner. Do they always have money to even do that? And then even if that were the case, they have to complete the bankruptcy. And depending on what area of the country you're in, because there's different levels of strictness to enter a bankruptcy, to file and be accepted into the bankruptcy, they have to complete it. Well, if they don't complete it, it's like it never happened. So I don't know if you're understanding all the parts I'm saying, but you can start to see that how many of these really come to fruition and how often does that happen. The other thing that happens is the, the largest number of bankruptcies occur in the worst category of distressed second mortgage, right? There's about 18 categories and there's one category, which is typically that, you know, three cent asset that it tends to happen in. So it's, we don't even buy that bucket, right? We can end up with some of those, but we don't even purchase that bucket like intentionally. 
You follow me? So it's like oh yeah, absolutely. If you if you understand everything I'm saying, you start to realize, well, how often does this really happen? When does this? How often does this occur? It's a very very small percentage of the worst category of asset that we really don't even buy, but yet it can still happen. And then they have to file bankruptcy, complete it for it to happen. Maybe only 30% or so complete them. So it's like, okay, you start looking at these numbers and you're going boom, 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 boom. What are the odds of all that happening where that, you know, it went all the way to the worst case scenario. Here's the other thing. That worst category of asset is the cheapest, right? So you're, it's a risk reward thing. So, so, you know, it, it reminds me of when somebody says to me, Dave, do you buy, you know, mortgages in Detroit? And the answer is sometimes, but I don't usually buy like a high equity second that's expensive. Maybe it's 35, 40 cents on the dollar. I'm concerned about geography then when I'm spending that type of money. But would I buy a three cent asset in Detroit? We've bought loans for $80. So you might wow. go, Wow, you bought this $80 mortgage and you lost all your money, Dave. Yeah, it was a flyer. It was a, I was willing to take that chance on that asset and it came in a bucket of a bunch of other assets that were good, right? So it's like you got to put it in perspective, right? Like people don't put it in perspective. They just they want to talk about, you know, bankruptcy or they want to talk about statute of limitations or they want to talk about the cram downs, you know, the worst case scenarios, of course. Well, what you're talking about is uh, you're equating, and I think very rightly so, the the three to five cent uh, buys as as Vegas money, right? Yeah, I mean, there, there's plenty of loans that were junk loans that were like produce that went bad on the shelf, and then believe it or not, some of those popped too. We've we've even been paid off on an unsecured loan that out of the blue you get a phone call, and the guy called in and he wanted to pay it off, and we're like, we're you know the guy on the phone's thinking like, why is he paying it off? It's unsecured and the guy's like, well, I just know it's the right thing to do. I borrowed the money. I, I want to make good on it. Okay. That was a go. half cent. That, that asset was worth half a penny on the dollar. And he called up and paid it in full. So now that doesn't happen that often. It's extremely rare and blah, blah, blah. But you get what I mean. It, you, you're not, if you're not in the game, that doesn't happen, right? So if you don't own any assets, it'll, that type of thing will never happen, right? So it is a weird business that way. But yeah, what you're describing is usually not that big of a deal. In fact, we like buying bankruptcy assets. They trade at a lower premium. And statistically, we know how they perform. So we love seconds in bankruptcy. We can do pretty well with them. And actually, a lot of note buyers shy away from bankruptcy assets that are advertised as bankruptcy assets. They trade at a lower dollar figure. But we statistically know how they'll perform. So we don't, we don't really have a problem with them, to be honest with you. Well, in my 40 years, Dave, I've had uh, junior liens be involved in a bankruptcy three times. And okay. all three times I was fortunate that it was in the 70% or so that, that don't go to fruition. But three times in 40 years, that's that's not bad odds. And and it didn't go to the end of bankruptcy court. I wasn't crammed down or anything. Well, well think about it this way, Jeff. What what does bankruptcy entail? You You have to have the money to do it. And if you're, I mean, just think about that from a street version, you know, from, you know, just think about, okay, how many homeowners who are in distress have the money to even go file a bankruptcy? It yep. takes money, right? So yep. if you're, the, so it's, I'm not saying they don't, they, you know, obviously some of them do, but that's a hurdle in and of itself. I mean, 
that I don't know that people realize. So. The question I get asked most, uh, and we'll close with this, is when, when you're in a junior lien situation, you've bought it at a good discount, it's been performing, but all of a sudden bad things happen to good people and they default. How do junior lien note investors make out in foreclosure, generally speaking? What's your experience? Well, the, you can make out very well. I mean, I have one right now in Utah. And um, we're foreclosing from second position. We'll take uh, back the property subject to – we actually have a sale in like a week. We'll take back that property subject to the first lien. We'll get a sheriff's deed. We don't have to pay the first lien off. We just end up with the sheriff's deed to the property. The first lien's still there. Now, of course, if we don't make payments to the first, can the first start foreclosure against us? Sure, absolutely. Uh, but the best part is, not best part, but there's equity back in this particular property. And it's about, it's about almost a hundred grand over our first and second lien combined. Wow. So even if we have to turn up the price and pay the realtor, you know, we're fully more than fully covered. It's really not a big issue right now. And we're seeing that in more and more pockets of the country now, especially California, Florida. So you know, is that a big risk? Not really. Now, if it was the opposite, well, maybe we wouldn't even foreclose. Why would I spend the money on foreclosure if if it was vacant and there's no way this thing's going to work out or, you know, you know, the rents were real low or whatever. So, But there's different scenarios you can do in different situations like it's not unheard of to rent the place out and not pay the first and collect the rent and get your note cost back or whatever. There's all kinds of strategies. Some strategies are to foreclose and rent it out and pay the first and wait till the market turns around. But right now we're seeing the markets are up. In this particular case, you can actually sell the property, pay the first off, and walk away with more than what I was owed. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know that that's a big issue for us. It, you feel compassion and empathy for the homeowner sometimes. Like, why are they doing that? Why didn't they just sell it? Or why didn't, you know, why'd they let it get so far? But we are seeing more cash outs today, too, and more refinances, which is a, a sign of the times improving, you know. So. Exactly, exactly. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Dave. And we really appreciate you joining us on these podcasts. I get such great feedback when people listen to them. We'll catch everybody next time. Thanks for listening to the Bald Guy Podcast with Jeff Brown and our guest, Dave Van Horn.